Jensen presents the Keith Lowell Jensen Show with Keith Lowell Jensen. Hello, this is Keith Lowell Jensen. Thank you for joining us once again at the Keith Lowell Jensen Show. Our guest today is Jeffrey Brown. Very excited to have him here, but uh, more on that in a minute. Uh, Listen, folks, uh, this is coming out before Christmas, far enough before Christmas, that I would like to invite you to go back through our past episodes when you do your Christmas shopping, okay? And remember that there's a lot of great music in there. Anton Barbeau has a great new album, uh, books. I actually just got my hard copy of Aaron Carnes in Defense of Ska in the mail today, and it looks great. And of course, I have a book out called Punching Nazis and Other Good Ideas. You could always give the gift of ElfQuest. That's the gift that keeps on giving. So um, yeah, remember artists that you love when you're doing your uh, your Christmas shopping. A lot of artists, this is the, you know, the time of year when they find out if they're going to end the year uh, in the black or not. Um, and while I'm shilling, let me again remind you that I have a special right now on Amazon Prime. It's called Not For Rehire, and you should go watch it immediately and then go to Spotify or wherever you stream audio and listen to the two bonus tracks that aren't in the video version of it. Um, so yeah, Amazon Prime or wherever else you like to get video in case you don't want to support the devil. Um, okay, so that brings me to introduce our guest today. Uh, very excited. Jeffrey Brown conquered the world when he self-published the relationship memoir, Clumsy, which earned praise from cartoonists and readers, and then eventually was picked up by Top Shelf Comics. He went on to publish a tall tower of fantastic autobiographical graphic novels, some very funny books as well. He, along the way, directed a music video for Death Cab for Cutie. His work has been featured in Chicago's Museum of Contemporary Art, and he taught comics at the School of Art Institute as well. More recently, Mr. Brown has added some much-appreciated adorableness that isn't Baby Yoda to the Star Wars universe with books like Darth Vader and Son and Vader's Little Princess, which imagine Vader as the struggling father of precocious children. Uh, There's also Jedi Academy, and more recently still, the Lucy and Andy Neanderthal books, and most recently, Once Upon a Space Time. Jeffrey, doing your biography, I (laughs) wish I had one of those guys with the high, fast voice at the end, and I didn't even mention... That's a tiny little portion of the (laughs) the books that you've written. How are you? Just a slice, yes. Just I'm, a I'm, tiny little I'm slice. Good. Thank you. Yeah. So you are you are writing and drawing comics right now as we speak, right? I mean, you don't stop. I, you know, I was thinking about that, but then I was like, well, the sound of taking the pen caps on and off in a here, <laughs> and then I was like, well, I could just just go with one pen the whole time, but I'm just <laughs> not into it tonight, so. I, I appreciate uh, both the consideration. A, a break, yeah, uh, yeah. So now I'll get angry letters from your fans for interrupting yeah. your output of great <laughs> material. Um, is this who you were as a kid? Were you constantly drawing? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. I mean, and um, I mean, my mom saved all my childhood drawings, so like I have the proof. Like it's just a a never ending stream of doodles and drawings. And, and then in school, every, every single project that, you know, whether it was a, like a presentation or a paper, you know, like I would, like if I had to write an essay, I would draw like a, I'd make a drawing for the cover, you know, I'd draw posters to go with my speech and, um, nice. you know, just all the way through high school, taking notes, I would just sit there and my notes are just, 50% doodles. Um, 
so yeah, it's just, it's just always been like just, you know, drawing constantly. Was it encouraged? Were there points where it was worrisome for parents and teachers? No, I mean, uh, like I always got good grades in school, so okay. they, they, were, they gave me the pass. Although like, I, I think this story is in one of my books, which is the, one of the dangers of writing autobiographical materials. It's <laughs> the hard part of interviewing like, you as well. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like what do people know already if they've read that? But right. know, like, I, you know, there's a story of my friend and I were both drawing in class and the, you know, the teacher told him to stop, but, and he's like, well, what about, what about Jeff? And he's like, well, he's, he's doing okay in the class right now. So <laughs> he can keep trying, but, um, you know, um, yeah. So it was always, you know, and, you know, like my teachers were you know, always like, oh, very, very creative to, to add the drawing. I love it. And right. Um, so he was like, if, yeah, it was definitely encouraged. It was like bonus points. And then my parents too, you know, all the way um, through publishing. So when I self-published Clumsy, they actually um, gave me some money toward that, that print run. Um and which is no small thing. Um, like, you know, they, they put their money where their, where their mouths were like, they, they really, <laughs> they really great. supported me. And, um, you know, at the, at the same time, like, you know, they, they would always say, you know, like, well, it's great that you're, you know, you're going to art school, but like, are you taking any of like the practical courses? Are you learning like the computer design? Right. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'll think about that. And, and then I <laughs> didn't. And You didn't think about it? Yeah, although it would, it would come in useful at this point. I've had to like kind of do a mishmash of friends showing me how to do things and, and muddling through on my own and then finding out later that there's way more efficient ways of doing whatever I'm doing in Photoshop. Right. Initially, and, and this is something... Uh, in, in the many little biographies of you that there are, the people love to refer to you uh, doing your drawings in your sketchbooks. And is that, is that accurate? Like when you pick up uh, one of your books, are we looking at drawings that were scanned straight out of your um, sketchbooks? Less now. Um, okay. With this, like with the middle grade stuff. Um, but definitely with, with all the, like original autobiographical books, right? Those are all drawn in sketchbooks. Um, the the Changebots, my Transformers parody was was all drawn in sketchbooks. Although for those to scan, I I just cut them out of the sketchbook. Um, I was wondering about that. But, yeah, I was picturing you like yeah. breaking the spine, like pushing it down on yeah, the scanner. Yeah. So you, you know, the, well, there's an art to choosing which which sketchbook you're drawing in. Also, oh, okay. You know, in terms of what makes it. Um, easy and manageable for scanning. But nowadays, so like the, the full color artwork I do for the Darth Vader books is all on, you know, nice illustration board and okay, all separate sheets. And um, the middle grade stuff, I, I do all the rough drafts in sketchbooks. So okay. I'll, I'll write and draw the entire first and second drafts in, in sketchbooks. Um, and then the final art is just on you know loose sheets of, of Bristol board. All right, I'm gonna. I, I look forward to coming back to these later books, but I'm going to jump back into your childhood again. Yeah, 
uh, when you weren't drawing on your school assignments, what kind of things were you drawing? Were you already a fan of comic books at that time? Oh, were you for drawing sure. superheroes? Yeah. yeah, lots of like so I was big into Marvel comics. So lots of X-Men, lots of Wolverine, um, lots of, you know, just pop culture, lots of Star Wars. I drew lots of Star Wars when I was a kid. Indiana nice. Jones was another one. Um, you know, like when Gremlins came out, I was really into Gremlins. So I was drawing Gremlins, lots of Garfield. Uh, oh, Garfield I was, was like a my big, favorite. I was yeah. a big Garfield fan as well. How did you feel the first time you heard Garfield's voice? Um, that's a good question. Like, I remember it bothering me. I was like, that's not what he should sound like. I feel like the, I think, I think the first time I didn't, it didn't really sink in because I was just so excited. Like, like here's Garfield on like animated, which now, nowadays, like, you know, like anything is animated. Like, like if, if it's not officially animated, someone else has done some like fan animation that's looks like it's, you know, professional and, and well done. Um, <laughs> so the excitement, I think of, of it, you know, kind of, uh, uh, I got lost in, in that and missed, you know, the, the jarring effect of hearing that voice. Although um, I think when the, you know, when the little regular animated shows have started, like that is definitely, like that still throws me like it's just like right that weird uh yeah. video game level computer animation yeah um did you actually make your own comics when you were drawing wolverine and garfield do you ever have wolverine fight garfield uh did you- <laughs> no but why didn't i like I, it's not I was, too late yeah i i feel like um you know, they were very separate worlds and in my, <laughs> my young, young child brain, I, I didn't allow myself to, um, you know, do the kind of crossovers that, that happen all the time now, but the, like, yeah, Garfield, Garfield Wolverine, why not? Um, I, I've, yeah. I've talked on here a little bit about in, um, when, when I first got into comics, they seemed uh, a little bit, uh, of an anachronism, like somehow the, the racks were there at the grocery store, but I didn't know anyone else that read them or bought them. And until about junior high, I met a couple other comic book fans. Um, w- were you the kid that introduced other kids to comics or did you know yeah, a group of you know, kids that were into comics? It's, it's interesting. Like I, I, th- cause I, I've had similar experience. I think most of my close friends in elementary school, um, were would maybe read a comic or two, but were definitely not into it at the, at the level that I was. And then right. I have two older brothers, and they they both read comics, but again, like nowhere near the level of interest that I had. And and also being older, they you know they slightly different, um, I think, m- material that they were interested in. Right. But um, yeah, and then when I got into like high school. I was kind of moving from superheroes into like European more mature comics and like most, especially like Mobius. Okay. The French cartoonist of sci-fi and fantasy and weirdness. And 
Um, and so he was an artist that my friends and I like were all super into together. And I don't know that, that I necessarily introduced them to Mobius so much as like, I, like, I think that we all independently discovered Mobius and then realized that we all liked him or something. And I think by this time, adults were done freaking out about comics, right? Where the, I mean, your parents weren't like, comics lead to juvenile delinquency or whatever. Like, (laughs) that that period. Yeah, I mean, mean, it was never that, you know, that was another thing where my my parents were always very supportive. Like, you know, like, they would take my brothers and I to our local shop. It was this shop called Collector's Corner. Um, And and, in back in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And, or my brothers and I, we would, get off on the bus, like we'd be taking the bus home from school and the, the comic shop was like two stops before the stop we would normally get off to just go home and we would get off there on new comics day. And right. um, You know, so my, and my parents never had a problem with that, but I've, I've also always been a pretty voracious reader um, of all kinds of, of books, not just comics. So, you know, they, you know, I was, I was just always reading lots of science fiction and fantasy mostly, but reading other stuff that, that wasn't comics. So I think, you know, that probably helped allay any sure. fears that they might've had. It, d- it dilutes it a little, right? Yeah. Like I'm in those damn comics, read a real book. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I you mean, mentioned, Oh, go yeah. ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that just made me think of like this after I had, I had been, drawing and publishing comics for hours before borders closed. I was, I was in, in a borders, um, right. Looking at comics and this, this, or I was, I was looking at, not at the comics. I was like, my back was turned to the comic shelves and I was looking at something else. And this guy was like, he just started talking to me. He's like, yeah, my, my grandkids want me to buy these comics and it's just all trash. (laughs) He's like, you know, like I don't, do you see what they see in these? Like, it's ridiculous. And he's like laughing. Like I'm totally with him. And right. I was like, I, I draw comics. <laughs> you guys are just a couple of comic hating adults there in a yeah. real bookstore. <laughs> yeah. And, but it's funny because, you know, it's like just every year goes by that, that kind of stuff happens less and less. So now your father is a minister, correct? He was. Yeah. Your, your father was a minister when, when you were growing up. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I grew up reading Elfquest. My mom was very religious, uh-huh. and some of the the magic, the healing, the the things in Elfquest that concerned her. <laughs> they were things that Doctor James Dobson probably would not have approved on Focus right. on the Family Radio Hour. Um, did your dad? Uh, try to limit what you read did he kind of censor your reading list at all or was he pretty progressive in no no he was either really progressive or or oblivious one of the two. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because i'm really i'm fishing here for the for the tortured childhood and it just no. sounds like it was great there in Grand well Rapids. i mean no i mean like we're, or we can talk <laughs> about how i was like fat and my best friends made fun of me but oh thank god know, okay so <laughs> no but my no my uh you know, it's, it's funny cause I spent, you know, like, 
like my dad being a minister and my mom also, you know, very religious and, and spending all that time in church. But as, as far as being religious goes, they're both very, very liberal and progressive and, and, um, cool. um, you know, like they're, they're great. And so, you know, like the, the only time I got stuff like that was like on the fringe of like, so I remember one time someone had the idea of like presenting to the youth group, like the, like the, you know, one of those music is satanic documentaries. Yeah. And I was just are, like, I loved those. It had all my favorite bands. It was just, <laughs> it was just like that. And the other, the other, the other thing I remember is one time um, I was reading Dirk Gently's holistic detective agency. Excellent. Um, by the great uh, Douglas Adams. And, and someone, this woman saw me reading it and she's like, and, and like just very serious and earnest came up to me and was like, you got to be careful with that holistic stuff. It's going it <laughs> to be pretty dangerous. Right. <laughs> it's like, okay. You know, thanks. Yeah. She, she means well. <laughs> like, yeah. I think I think I'm okay with this that's, one. It's, that's funny. Not really <laughs> what it is, but that was what before a, Harry Potter, so I right. I don't know what happened to that woman now, but I'm oh yeah, sure I know a, a lot hard, of them hard times. Yeah, a lot of the the religious folks really did not have a good time with their kids running around practicing witchcraft. Yeah. <laughs> um. What What music did little Jeffrey listen to? Well, like so, when I was really little, it was just you know whatever whatever my parents had on the radio. So like, you know, they just play like top 40, but like bad top 40. Okay. And then, um, and then eventually like, you know, I, I had, was introduced to the wonders of, um, a Walkman and I had, I got my own cassette tapes. Of, oh, excellent. Uh, Weird Al Yankovic. I think was <laughs> the, the very first cassette I had was, I think, dare to be stupid. Um, that's and, a good you know, start. And so then, and then I got into high school and started listening to, you know, like Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd, I think were like the two, like, Oh, this is music. And then, right. And then I like kind of went off into, uh, you know, lots of punk and heavy metal. So like it's Fugazi and Misfits and Black Sabbath, um, early Black Sabbath. Not Yeah. Later, Black Sabbath. Not, not the Dio era. I mean, a little bit, but not really. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Just, like, you gotta, yeah, try it out once in a while. But uh, you know, I, yeah. I still it, it hasn't grabbed me. I, every few years, I give it another chance again. But you know, I didn't I didn't come to appreciate Led Zeppelin until I was in my forties. So you never know. Oh, that's yeah, that's weird. That's yeah. Funny. I mean, just just in yeah. the last few years, I've been like, oh wait, I, I hear it, and I would yeah. every yeah. four or five years, I would try Led Zeppelin again, just because so many people who I respect loved Zeppelin. Yeah. I was like, ah, maybe this year I'll hear it. <laughs> yeah, I was really late. The band I was really late to, I feel like, was the Beatles. Oh wow! Like, See, I grew. They've been my favorite band for as long like, as I can remember. I was like, when I started listening to them, like really paying attention. I was like, Oh my gosh. Right. Like, um, like watching a hard day's night. I was like, Oh, no wonder, <laughs> no wonder people liked them. Yes. Like, it's, 
good. So, <laughs> so I'm, I was looking at some bios of you online, and one thing I was surprised to see was um, did, is it correct that you went to art school when you were 25? Uh, graduate school, yeah. Oh, yeah, graduate. Now that makes more sense. Okay. Yeah. I was so, wondering what happened so, in those in between years. So basically, I, you know, for undergrad, I was an art major, English minor. Okay. And then graduated. And then I spent three years um, just decorating wooden shoes. Excellent. And, um, and realizing like that, that. So I was, you know, during the day I worked at the, it was the wooden shoe factory in Holland Bull Mill. Oh, oh, so this wasn't um, like your weird art statement that you were putting in galleries. This is what you did for a living. That's, that's what paid the bills. Like I, worked, oh, I started wow. working there when I was a freshman in college. And Amazing. by the time I graduated, like, you know, I was making, um, at the time, I think I was like, I was making 12 to $15 an hour. And I would Not work, bad for that time. Work four 10 hour days. And then I would have, so I'd have three full days off. And then, so like, so for those three years after college, I was just, I'd work, come home, go to the coffee shop and draw. And my days off, I'd just paint and draw. And I would just make art for three years until I realized like, I I mean, I could do this forever, but it's not, it doesn't seem like it's really going anywhere. If you're just joining us, my guest today is wooden shoe painter, Jeffrey Brown. Yes. <laughs> We're going to talk about wooden shoe painting techniques. And wood burning. We also and wood burning. And you know, just last Christmas, I got my wife a wood yeah. burning kit. Yeah. Yeah, we made our own. We had our own homemade because, you know, the commercial wood burning kits, you can't, like, they only heat up so much. Right. <laughs> and so we we specialized in using less safe wood burning tools that, uh, you know, like you, you can burn a lot hotter and faster and it's, <laughs> it, you guys are the rebels of the wood burning world. Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, it's, the thing is, is like, it's, it's depending on the wood you're working with, it can be, you know, it, it takes some learning to like, know to have the, the right kind of control in, like now I've, I've wood burned a, f- a few things in the last few years and with our little commercial store right. bought little wood burning kit. And, um, I find I have to like go a lot slower, um, just not having the same sense, but back in the day I was, yeah, I was, I was in my element <laughs> there. It was really good. A really burning rubber, figuratively, yeah. wood, you wood, want, literally. Like, you want a windmill on there or tulips, whatever. Little Dutch boy and girl. I really could awesome. abandon the rest of the podcast just to talk about this. This is, <laughs> this is exactly where I wanted it to go. <laughs> this is, well, this is what I was hoping for. Good, good. You've, you've been waiting all these years for someone to appreciate like, you as a, yeah. as a wood shoe burner and painter. Uh, so... It sounds like you were, you didn't go to school to make comics. You were, no. you were going to school and then more and more just kept, kept getting pulled into comics. Was there a point where you realized, okay, I, I want to get serious about this? Was there an aha moment? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, 
basically like after high school um, and then through college, I just drifted further and further away from comics. Like I stopped, it was funny because I still went to the comic shop pretty much every week to okay. see new com- like, but I didn't buy anything. Like I stopped buying comics. <laughs> I just, a- just went in and just like looked and that was enough. That, that habit um, was just ingrained into you. Yeah. That's what you and, did. I was like, um, and in terms of the art I was making, I, you know, I turned to fine art and I thought, you know, I'm going to be a, a painter and make, you know, capital F a fine art. Right. Um, and, and it, so what happened was, is it was, it was all coming to Chicago. Um, and I, so I moved here to Chicago to go to the school, the art Institute, um, to get my MFA, um, and just before moving here, I had kind of started to rediscover comics, um, like the summer before moving to Chicago. Like, and found, any particular comics um, pull you back in? Yeah, so it was it was it was um, Chris Ware and Dan Klaus and Julie Doucet. Yeah, and it was like just kind of these, like, and I had I had read. Um, you know, Julie Doucet and Dan Klaus comics in, in high school, um, like kind of right before uh, heading off to college. And, but I just ended up, I ended up like rebuying all this stuff that I had when I was, when I was in high school, along with like all the, like, it was just basically like drawn and quarterly top shelf, fanographics, indie comics, like, um, I was like, whoa, I like, I was missing all this stuff somehow. Um, and then I, you know, moved to Chicago and that was right when uh, Chris Ware and Dan Claus were doing their tour um, for the, um, the, their two collections. So the David Boring collection and then the, the Jimmy Corrigan collection. Okay. Um, and so they were, you know, they were doing events and, and my roommate and I went to, to go see them at one. And then we ended up talking to them and, you know, so Dan Klaus lived in Grand Rapids for a while. And it turned okay. out that he went to, when he was living there, he was going to collector's corner, the same shop that I went to when I was growing up. And then Chris Ware, of course, had, had gone to the school, the art Institute where I was now attending for my MFA. And so like, there's just this connection there. Like here's these, these two artists who were both just, you know, totally gracious and nice and encouraging and friendly, you know, at the end of their night of, you know, they gave a talk and then signed for everybody. And, um, and it was just like this kind of like moment of inspiration, like, um, of like, wow, this is really cool. And then I spent, you know, the next um, school year just, you know, still not making comics, just making like these paintings and things and realizing like it was something was missing. And um, so then I, I was like, I'm going to just take a break from, from like this idea of what art should be and just go back to when I, was like having fun as a kid, which was just like drawing comics, not thinking too much about it. And, 
um, that's when I drew clumsy. And it was also a reaction to art school, the idea that so much of art school was conceptual and like just, you know, art about making art that's about art. Right. You know, like you could go down this rabbit hole of, you know, not that it wasn't always interesting or, you know, there weren't some like really cool stuff being made, but it just didn't feel like it was very related to the human experience. So I wanted to make something that, that was fun for me again. And also was like just deeply personal. And so I made clumsy and then I was like, Oh yeah, I should have been making comics like the past 10 years. I don't know. Can I, can I ask you how you feel now looking back at the paintings that you had done? Um, <laughs> I don't know if there's like, there's, I don't know how to describe it. I mean, I've like, I've, they're down in the basement. Um, and I was, um, just moving. So I, I just, we just finished our attic this summer, um, to become my studio space. And I was considering what like old art to move up. And I moved right. up a bunch of like old sketchbooks from, from high school and college and everything. And the paintings are still in the basement. So I think that's about, <laughs> that's, that, sums about it up. that about sums it up. There's, I, my wife was actually like, she was like, uh, so, I mean, do we need to keep them all? I was like, yeah, they're like, <laughs> They're like, they're history. They're like, you know, it's like, this is the formation of me as an artist. Like, this is <laughs> somehow important. She's like, yeah, but, you know, like, you look at them. Could you maybe just, like, like keep one that's like that and one? <laughs> they're taking one up the that valuable that, basement space. One of those, one of the, one of the, one of the ones like that. Like, just keep one of those. <laughs> She's got them all categorized. Do you have yeah, these ones that look like, like this? They, and... they kind of look the same and they're not very good. <laughs> yeah. It's not even, and it's not even like, you know, in the, the good side of the basement, it's in like the, the, <laughs> the cold unfinished storage, like nice with like, you know, bits of insulation and. Oh God. I have to tell you, I, I want to see them so bad now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can see, I think there's actually a few of the ones that I was more happy with are if you, um, Scott Eater is a is a guy who buys and sells a lot of comic art, and he's been, um, I've been working with him for a long time, and I think he has some of my old paintings online. So if you search around on his, I'm gonna go find him website. You might be able <laughs> to dig them up and yeah. Okay, so we get to clumsy, and it sounds like you knew when you finished clumsy that this was something special. I mean that you, you described feeling like oh this is what I should have been doing all along. Yeah, I mean that's it, a like, great feeling. Yeah, it was. Well, it was yeah, it was. It was. It was. I mean it was just this kind of realization like, Oh, all those times when I was, you know, like I have all these things when I was a kid when I, where I'd write, like when I grow up, I want to draw comics and, um, has this kind of realization like, Oh yeah. Like I, that's still me. Like I still just want to right. draw comics. And, um, yeah. So it was, you know, it was, 
and it wasn't just, I mean, it was satisfying on, on every level because the response from, from showing people clumsy, because, because originally it, one of the reasons I drew it in a sketchbook was the idea that like, whereas comics are normally mass produced, this is the, the art school student was in, in me was like, I'll counteract that by there's just one copy and it's hand drawn. <laughs> but I would, but I, you know, I'd show it to friends and, and they were, they were, they were all rudely responding to it. And I, and I felt like in ways that was beyond like just the obligatory, like responding as a friend. Right. Um, it kind of threw into doubt the positive response they'd given to your paintings. Yeah. You know, looking back, I don't know that the <laughs> response to the paintings was ever that positive. <laughs> right. so, so, you know, it's just lots of missing signs uh, in my life over the years, but, um, yeah. So it was just, you know, that like realizing like, like I feel better about this thing and other people feel better about it. Like, so it's, you know, just kind of like they they were reaffirming my own instincts there. Now, before you decided to go ahead and publish it, you did send it to some publishing houses. Yeah. So what I did was I made, I made a hundred copies. Okay. Um, just uh, like uh, um, Xeroxed copies. And um, I think, you know, like gave some to friends and family. Um, and then I s- sent some to cartoonists I like. So I get, you know, sent one to Dan Klaus and Chris Ware. And, Great. Um, and I sent, yeah, I sent, um, copies off to like top shelf and fanographics and um, high water. I don't know if I actually sent one to drawn and quarterly or not. I feel like I must've, but um, yeah. And they all, they all passed on, on publishing it. Rejection um, letters. Rejection letters. Well, how do you, how do you deal with rejection letters? I'm, I'm really, really bad at it. Um, well, you know, when, when I graduated from college, my, like my college thesis piece was a, a sketchbook of illustrated poetry. Um, and it was kind of like funny poems. It was like little okay. Russell Edson kind of, um, feel, um, and with kind of semi cartoony drawings, it was like kind of bad Mobius style cartoony drawings that I used to do. Um, and I had sent, and I had sent that out to a bunch of places and, and everyone rejected it. And I, I like, I even sent, um, I sent some stuff to a gallery in New York thinking like, Oh, it's like, you know, it's like a sketchbook. It's like art. And the, the gallery sent like the Xeroxes back and they're like, why did you send this? <laughs> wow. Like, like, <laughs> Like they had to, like, they didn't just discard it. They, they sent it back. Like, why, why would, did you do like, it? Maybe it's like, why would you do Why would you send this to us? Why, I got, why, like, but, like I, with no, no explanation, like, like, yeah. Hey, like, Hey kid, <laughs> here's, you're obviously young and don't know what you're doing. Let me give you some, some wisdom. Uh, um, but I got one, one rejection letter and it was like, Hey, um, you know, uh, this was passed on to me that another editor 
got it and, you know, said like, like, you know, it wasn't for our publishing house, but they passed it on to me because they thought I might like it. And I just want to say like, you know, I don't think it's like ready or anything or whatever the words were like, you know, it's like, it's, it's not good enough basically, but like, like there's something there and like, you should basically like the sentiment was basically like, look, this is not, not good enough, but, but you should keep working. Cause like, like you might like, eventually you might get somewhere. Um, and so like that, you know, amongst the, I mean, most of the rejection letters were just form letters, like, you know, just not for, not for us, you know, they might have like, some of them might be like a, a list of different reasons why they're not publishing it with like two or three checked off. Like it's not this, this or this. Right. Um, but that one letter, you know, was just like, and it, you know, it was the, the, it was clearly like not a form letter. Like they had clearly like referenced specific things and um, yeah, that like, so even amongst the rejection, um, like there's those nuggets that come through like that, that you're like, okay, like it's, it's okay to be rejected because it's like that rejection is not the end, which is the same thing that, that happened with clumsy because um, like everyone, no one wanted to publish it, but then top shelf was like, look, we're, we don't think this is like, we don't think we can publish this, but if you self publish, we'll, we'll help you distribute. Oh, wow. Okay. And and so I was like, okay, well, like maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I can self-publish, um, which is, you know, which is what I ended up doing. So, yeah, I was so ready to hear that, you know, Top Shelf sent you a standard rejection letter and then had to eat their hat later. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, but, um, but no, they were they were encouraging. Yeah. They were on board. Yeah, they. I mean. So, so Top Shelf was, was run basically by, by two guys, Brett Warnock and Chris Daros. And Brett was like, oh, I totally wanted to do this. Um, but like in the end, like just the numbers or, you know, like whatever. And, and then it was Chris who said, you know, like, you know, like, thanks for giving it, like, let it, giving us a look. And, but, you know, and he, and he was like, you know, we can talk about helping you distribute and, which was, you know, like they, um, they, I sent them a bunch of copies. They would sell them at conventions they were at and they had it on their website. And, um, you know, so it wasn't like a huge thing at first, but it was like enough, um, like to, to get that start. So you, you make the decision to self publish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I had Wendy and Richard Penny on a few guests back. Yeah. And I'll say to you the same thing that I say to them. I'm I'm so glad that you didn't get picked up by any of the people that you submitted to. <laughs> because you self-publishing Clumsy is such an awesome part of that story. And such, as another artist, such an encouraging part that they didn't, but you did. <laughs> uh and and then Simon Schuster have published you now. I mean, <laughs> you know, like Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's you know, it in the end it it all it's it's all worked out wonderfully. Um 
in ways that I could never have planned. But I mean, I, but to take that leap, I mean, that's a, it's a ballsy leap. Yeah. It didn't seem like it was at the, t- no? <laughs> at the time. Like well, what, what because, did it feel like? Well, so because I was like the, res- I, I don't know, maybe, I mean, it might've been a little bit of being naive. Um, but there's a, there's a few reasons. Um, one is that over time I kind of, um, developed a relationship with Chris Ware where he was giving me advice and encouragement. Um, you know, he stopped by to see my studio at the art Institute and, um, I was, you know, you know, he sent me this, like the first thing he, I showed him some sketchbooks at a signing and then he sent me a letter, you know, and like this super long letter, like there's basically like all the advice and encouragement I could have wanted and with this phone number at the bottom. And oh, it, was that's a while bef- it was a while before I called him, but, you know, um, like he, here's this person whose work is just, you know, like at the top and um, like, like they're seeing something in, in my work. So that, like I had that. And then what happened was, is, I was talking to Chris about, you know, like all the, all these publishers had rejected clumsy and he put me in touch with Paul Hornschmeyer, who's another cartoonist who um, is no longer here in Chicago, but at the time he was in Chicago and um, worked, he worked as a, a rep for a printer in Canada and um, did, was basically like their, their go-between for a lot of publishers and comics. So both self-publishers and like, you know, he, he worked with Fantagraphics and drawn accordingly on books that they were printing with this printer. And so Chris put me in touch with Paul and that was huge. Like, um, I mean, Paul became a great friend, but also kind of, he had all this experience and, in self-publishing and kind of helped me wrap my head around like what it would mean to print this many copies and this many copies. And here's, here's what we can do and here's how we can cut costs. And, um, you know, like just figuring out like, what do you price the book at and what do I need to sell to who to like just break even so that like when I self-published, it was like, I was basically going into it thinking like, you know what, like if I, so I printed 2000 copies and I figured out like, yeah, I think I can at least break even. Um, and so that, that was my goal. Like, yeah. Um, you know, and, and so, and it was fine. Like I, you know, it wasn't like I, I needed the comics to pay my bills. Like I just needed to not, lose more money than I could afford to lose. So you want to, you want to pay mom and dad back. (laughs) Well, I mean, uh, like, you know, uh, again, like one of the areas where I'm super fortunate, like I, you know, they didn't, I, I haven't paid them back. They did like, they gave me that like, Oh wow. Okay. Like, um, $1,000 toward, toward publishing it. Now I did, I did actually end up overdrawing my bank account. Um, Oh, wow printing the books, which, which I still blame the bank. It was one of those things where like, 
I deposited the check and then it's like, like the sequence of depositing and checks clearing, like, yeah. you know, it's like a little shady, well, yeah. little shady there, bank. Like, oh, you'll find, you'll find no love of banks here. Yeah. yeah they do and, stuff um, like that all the time. So, um, but yeah, it, you know, it's, so, but financially, like, you know, I was, um, I, and I, I think also at the time I was living with uh, my college roommate, I was living um, in at his house and at a very, very reasonable um, rental rate. Cool. Um, but which also required me to do some, some babysitting, but it was, um, it worked out great. I was, I was working as a music manager at Barnes and Noble. So I had steady paycheck and insurance and, you know, so, so the co- my my costs of living were were manageable and yeah I could I could afford to 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 do that I could print up self publish this book and um, if it had failed it would have been fine yeah that's a good position to be in what was the response like once you hit the street with those two thousand books um. There were people were like, "That's crazy! Why is that guy carrying like two thousand books down the street?" <laughs> you, I just picture you books. had them all balanced yeah, up on your head. Books for sale! Books for sale! Dragging pallets behind me, but um, I mean, no, it's like two thousand books is a lot of boxes of books, and um, it was a long process to like. It, it wasn't just like I I printed it and then all of a sudden like there it goes i was i so i was writing to comic shops so i would hear about a comic shop in this or that town and that was you know indie comics self-publishing comics friendly and i would email them or write to them and say like hey will you buy some copies of my books and they're like yeah we'll take two copies and i'd mail out two (laughs) copies and oh i remember um, doing that with cds that's incredible yeah and then and then but you know, it just, it just kept building. And so, um, you know, then, then it started happening where, where comic shops, like, so I remember comic relief in Toronto, uh, it's a great shop. Wait, no, not comic relief in Toronto. Comic relief is in Berkeley. Um, but the beguiling in Toronto, um, got in touch with me and they actually wrote to me and they're like, Hey, we're a shop in Toronto. Like we'd like to carry your, your book. And so, um, yeah, it was just, uh, you know, it started to build where like people were hearing about the book beyond the people that I was telling about the book, (laughs) (laughs) I guess. And then, um, and then what really I think made a big difference was then I also got onto this American life, um, for a segment, um, where we, we kind of, I talked about the book and then we kind of transformed some of the stories in, in clumsy into little, um, radio friendly stories. So how did that come about? I mean, I assumed that the book would already have been that, you know, moving some units before you'd get invited onto this American life. Um, no, I think it actually helped that, that, that the book, didn't even exist really. So it was, um, 
Jonathan Goldstein, one of the producers, um, found a, one of the you know the Xerox copies of Clumsy. Oh wow! At Quimby's, um, the shop here in Chicago, and um, wrote to me and it's like I you know I think this could fit in our show. What do you like? And we were working on it for so long that by the time the the segment aired, then the the self-published official version of clumsy was, was out. And, uh, oh, that's great. I, yeah. So, you um, know, it, that, that actually makes sense. Cause the, the one and only time I've ever heard from a producer from this American life wasn't for anything that I had actually published on, you know, even a, a larger independent scale or, or with a small publisher, it was a blog that I had. <laughs> And they wrote me, they were like, hey, we saw your blog. I'm like, you did? (laughs) We don't care about any of the stuff you're actually selling or trying to make a living off of, but we did see your blog. (laughs) So, but unfortunately, nothing came of it. There's still time, This American Life, if you're out there, call me. (laughs) So, so it starts picking up steam. um, But it, it sounds like it wasn't just straight out the gate. Yeah, I mean, in 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 retrospect, like it, I mean, it it was very fast, and I feel like the response was was very strong. It, I guess it just um, doesn't feel but, as fast when you're living it. Yeah, and I mean, and again, like it was like there was a lot of work involved. You know, it's like you know, Last Gasp is a a kind of a distributor of a lot of art books and indie comics and things, and in the Bay Area, and they, you know, they took i think they what did they order like 50 or 75 books and i and i boxed up these books and sent them and they all came damaged and last gas is like that's on you these were not packed well right right and you know it's just kind of like this experience (laughs) of like learning like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna eat eat that there on my ledger and i gotta send them new copies and pack differently and learn how to pack books um you know and you know so it's just like lots of things like that of just you know um putting in like the the sweat to uh kind of build things isn't it amazing to look back and and then really appreciate that you can let someone else do all of that now (laughs) yeah i mean that's that's (laughs) one of the things i like it's like for, for as much as, you know, I, I mean, I think you, like, you know, whether it's Richard and Wendy Peeney or um, like Dave Sim or, you know, like people who have these long histories of self-publishing and. Or Fugazi, who you mentioned because, earlier. Yeah. And it's like, it's like you, 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 you do get like a certain level of control and definitely you're like you're getting to keep more of the profit, but you're, you're also doing like a lot of the work and it's, it's a lot of stuff like I, you know, I'd rather be drawing than, than dealing with that. For sure. Yeah. Uh, so, so clumsy does eventually become a, a very critically acclaimed book. It then is published by top shelf. Yeah. Yeah, so and they then they were after dist- that. Yeah. Oh, well, I was gonna say they because at first they were distributing it, and so what right. happened was then they were like, "Well, we'll 
put it in the diamond catalog for you. Diamond is the distributor to all the, like the specialty comic shops. Okay. And, and so when, when they did that, the diamond orders came back and it was for like 1200 copies, which is a pretty good wonderful number. And I had like 1100 copies left. And so top shelf was like, do you, so like you can either do another print run yourself and, and, fill the order or we'll take over publishing starting with this. And I was like, you guys, you guys can go ahead and, and <laughs> I'll let you become the publisher. So that's I, like a rejection letter retraction. I mean, yeah. did, did you take yourself out to eat that night or? Uh, probably not. I, I, I can just imagine that <laughs> still, that must've been very gratifying. It was, it, it was hugely gratifying. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's just, you know, it's like, Oh, I, I was right. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't sure I was, but I, I kind of was. Wonderful to have it validated, and then Top Shelf went on to publish the the rest of what's become known as the Girlfriend Trilogy. Did yeah. you know in the beginning? Did did you plan that it would be a trilogy or? No, no. Um, it just kind of. I think after Clumsy, I think I, the plan. I, I did want to write Unlikely, um, which was about my first girlfriend and, and losing my virginity. And um, at the same time, I was doing lots of little anthology pieces that were autobiographical and not always necessarily about relationships. Right. Um, and yeah, it just, I don't know. It just kind of worked out like that. That's where my head was at those years. And that's what people, people were responding to. And it might've been like a little bit of a feedback loop where sure, like, you know, I'm, I'm getting this positive response about this particular vein of work. And, and then it felt interesting to me for a time to, to write about those things. And so, um, you, but you it was still had not, more to say. Yeah. And then I didn't. So, and then you didn't, <laughs> was that frightening yeah. when you didn't, because looking back at your, uh, bibliography from 2020, you uh, are such an eclectic author. I mean, you're all over the place yeah. at the point where you're going to step outside of, you know, that, that sort of genre that had given you such positive response. Did, did you feel nervous about it? No, I mean, nervous, I, I guess I was nervous and like, oh, maybe they won't like these other things. But, you know, I think even while I was doing those relationship books, I was, I was doing the other parody kind of like Big Head, my superhero, and then right. the Change Bots, the Transformers parody with Top Shelf. And so I was doing like other kind of work. Um, so in, in one sense, I, I, it wasn't too, too much of a, like a blind leap into the unknown, but, um, other than, you know, like this, like those works never got the, the same level or kind of response that, that the autobiographical stuff did. Um, but more importantly, I think for me was the feeling that like, I felt like I needed to do something different. So it wasn't, it wasn't so much a question of whether like it was scary to make that change so much as that it 
felt necessary for me to kind of start to look for new directions um, to write about or work in. And your publishers were supportive and on board as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think like with, I mean, with top shelf, they, you know, kind of reached this point where by indie comic standards, all my stuff with them was, was doing well enough that they're like, okay, well, whatever you want to do, just you, you tell us what it is and when it's, when you're going to be done (laughs) and then we'll put it into the queue to publish and, that's what a charmed life. That's great. I, yeah. And, um, you know, so, so they, they were always really supportive. I mean, there, there were, you know, the, they might have feedback about format or, you know, there, there were times where like, they might say something like, well, okay, if you want to do that, we can do it that way. But if he thought about this and they, you know, they might nudge me like a slightly different direction in terms of thinking about um, like, like there was one, like, like, like the idea of doing pamphlet comics versus um, doing something like more substantial with a spine and like, how does that look? And what, what is the material that we're going to put in there? Um, So it was never, necessarily like creative um influence like you should write about this but more like like okay if these are the things that you want to make like what is what is what is making those look like that in a way that um is reasonable for us as a publisher and sustainable for you as the creator one of the funniest things that i have read in my life is be a man. <laughs> and I'm such a big fan of your early autobiographical stuff uh, and, and and your later autobiographical stuff, but that's right in, you know, kind of my wheelhouse. Yeah. Be a man is, is pure comedy. It's self-referential because it's basically you referring back to clumsy and, and reimagining yeah. it as, you know, a, a macho meathead. <laughs> how how did that first get published? And because uh, it's an interesting piece where it's totally dependent on another piece in order to get yeah. the joke. Well, I well I don't know that it is. I mean, I think I think it's weird because over the years I found that people have gotten parts of the joke without <laughs> knowing. I'm terrified of the idea of someone yeah. just liking it and not getting the joke at all, just being like, "Yeah, it's <laughs> a comic about a man." <laughs> well. No, I mean, what's funny is, is that, that you, you think that's, that's the reaction, but that is followed by, then they read clumsy and they're like, oh, like they, this dude's a total boss. No, no, they're, they, (laughs) they get, they get clumsy in a way that they wouldn't have gotten if they had read clumsy first. That's wild. I can't even imagine reading them in reverse. They're like, it's like they, they read be a man and they're like, yeah. And then they read clumsy and they're like, Oh yeah. And he's sensitive. Like, you know, like, <laughs> whereas if they had read clumsy first, they might've been like, Oh, oh what is whiny. Okay. No, no. Now here, that's but, making sense to me. Be a man shows yeah. that even though you're showing your, your kind of sensitive side, you can laugh at yourself. You, yeah. Not- I mean, the, the idea of it was, you know, I just, 
like it's, I mean, it was kind of somewhat in response to like, there was a few reviews that like the review of the book clumsy was basically about me as a person. Right. It was like, like this. And like, literally there was a few reviews that where it said like, like he needs to be a man. Like, <laughs> and I was like, well, and so one, it's funny to me as like a, an artist because it's like, well, you're, I mean, the, the book is, is by its nature curated, right? It's, it's a selection of stories. It's not every moment of my life. It's not every moment right. of even that relationship. And it's definitely not the other person's viewpoint. It's not, so it's, you know, it's, it, it's only part of the story and, and it's, you know, so you can't really like, I, it never really necessarily reflected like me as a to the totality of me as a person. Right. And, and, and so that's funny. And then also like, like, well, be a man, like, what does that even mean? Like, that's just like, and I th- I feel like it's something culturally, like there's maybe been a shift um, or there started to be a shift in terms of like realizing, like, I mean, like it's, like the idea that of what it means to be a man is, you know, it's just, it's, it's a much more nuanced conversation than like, right. Like everyone has different ideas. So I just, so I just thought it was funny. And then also I, you know, I was like, yeah, I mean, like I could see what, what, how people would have that reaction to the character of me in the book too. Um, But you know, like the, when you're, when you're, at a certain age and you're in love and like, that's how the world is, you know, it's like, yeah, of course we can all like, like now I'm in my forties and I can look back at 20 year old me and think like, Oh yeah, such a young, silly boy, um, <laughs> you know, but so I don't know. It's just like, like responding to all those things. And then also, yeah. And making fun of myself, um, which is something like I, I've done little, lots of short comics in my sketchbooks where I, you know, make fun of myself. Um, right. So it seemed natural. And like, it was just like the first version was just a really quickly doodled mini comic and people liked the mini comics. So then I did like a nicer version for top shelf to put out. And uh, yeah. And then that later became a part of a collection, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was an undeleted scenes, which is a collection of um, the majority of which is just straightforward autobiographical material. And then, and then there's another chunk that's like be a man where it's, there's elements of, of autobiography, but it's all twisted and (laughs) messed up for humorous effect. Right. I guess. So my, so my downstairs neighbor, uh, who uh, Christy and Skinner and Skinner has actually gone on to be a very successful artist. They introduced me to clumsy. And then from there, uh, do you know Skinner? Have you guys crossed paths? Yeah, we crossed paths years and years ago. Like I'm, I'm trying to think like of how I'm like, I feel like there was someone specific who introduced me to Skinner, but I met Skinner at ape the alternative press expo in San Francisco okay. at some point, like 
early. Yeah, early I think he's he's living in the San Francisco Bay Area or now. Something like, um, yeah. So, I, so they turned me on to your yeah. stuff, and I ate it up to to find the autobiographical stuff, and then find Big Head, and and then you know, the Incredible Sulk, and uh, already a very diverse collection of of work. Then what, what I didn't see coming and what was a delightful surprise was uh, as I became a father, all of a sudden you have books that I'm buying for my daughter. <laughs> um, how, how did you end up doing uh, Vader's Little Princess? Oh, thank goodness. I thought you were buying her like the other autobiographical <laughs> books with all the sex. Yeah. yeah. Well, for me. Um, you know, I didn't want to have to have the talk, so I yeah. thought I'd just let Jeffrey have the talk for me. Yeah, I was thinking about that. I'm I, that's a future. Like, I was like, if only there was like a book that someone else wrote that would be the talk that I could give to like my son. Like, we wrote like, a we wrote a comedy skit called The Talk one time, and I think it's the most delightful, yeah. sweet. Uh, I mean, me and I, I'm still good friends with the woman that acted in it with me. We could come out and do that. For, for your <laughs> it's not just recorded somewhere i can just like no no the youtube <laughs> no, it, it is but i you you get the full you get the full experience some live comedy <laughs> yeah. um but yeah so so how did you end up being a, yeah. a children's author which seems to be uh an ever-expanding thing for you which yeah. makes sense I now mean, you have kids it, of your own that can enjoy that work yeah, I mean it, it. It it makes total sense, and and again, it's like one of those things like that was totally not planned. It just happens pretty naturally. It's so um, you know it started with Darth Vader and Son, um, which we don't have that book in the house. A little too many boys, not enough girls. Okay, that's so. a criticism from my daughter. Um. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. That's why. That's why there's there's more books. Hey, I don't do so, fluff interviews, yeah. Jeffrey. I don't know what you were expecting. It's but. Hard hitting, but <laughs> a little little thrown here. I need to take a minute to gather myself. Take all the time you need, my friend. Uh, yeah, the criticism never never get used to it. Um, anyway, I'm used to it now. Uh, okay, good. So, yeah, it started. Uh, actually with Google. So, and the, it's one of those like long convoluted tales, but in, in essence, I had met um, the guy who runs the Google doodle team, you know, the okay. Google doodle, like the, I Google. love the Google doodles. Yeah. Yeah. So they have, they have this internal team of people who make those, um, who do those designs, except once in a while, they'll bring in, you know, an outside artist to do something. And so Ryan Germick, the, the guy, um, I had met him years before at one of the small press comic conventions and he had either given me his like little zine or I'd bought it or we traded or somehow. Um, but I'd met him at one of these small press expos before I think I don't think he was even working at Google at that point, but years later, fast forward, he's, he's working at Google and they have this idea of, doing a Google doodle with Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker and how awkward it would be if they were just, you know, in an everyday moment, um, as opposed to like fighting, you know, for the 
fate of the galaxy. Like if they were just going shopping together or just having some light dinner conversation. (laughs) And, you know, and so he, he thought I would be someone who could do something funny with that because he, you know, I, I did all these autobiographical books. They were all just about awkward everyday moments. So, Um, So he brought you this idea. Yeah. And, Oh, um, he, I hope he gets a heck of a Christmas card from you every year. Well, not every year. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but if he if he asks, I'll definitely you know, um, jump on a plane and hand deliver it. But uh, right, <laughs> and tell him I'll come do my talk comedy skit and, for him also. Yeah, whatever he needs for, for him per- <laughs> personally, <laughs> for him. But yeah. for like not for kids or anything, just for him. No, just for him. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, well, and so, yeah. And he also knew like I did humorous, you know, science fiction parodies and things. And so we thought like, right. oh, could, like maybe Jeffrey could do something with it. So he, he called me up and, and, and explained the idea. And I was like, okay, let me see what I can I do. And um, at that point, my son Oscar was four at the time. And, so like, you know, I think he called it, so it was something like five or six in the evening. And I, I went home and I was like, oh, well, I had done some doodles of Luke Skywalker as like, as like a kid. It's like little sketch card doodles that I would sell at comic conventions. Right. And uh, I thought, oh, like, you know, I'm, I'm going through all these parenting moments, awkward moments with my four-year-old son. Like if I make Luke four years old and put Darth Vader in my shoes and then like, it just all clicked. And I did, you know, I did like a dozen sketches that night and emailed them off so that they were like waiting in his inbox the next day. Um, and a lot of those sketches are, are basically like the ideas, like the, the back cover of the book was one. Okay. Um, like most, like almost all of those ideas made it into the book. Um, and and so Google liked the idea. They were, um, it all looked good. Lucasfilm was on board, but um, in the end, they decided it felt like too much of a commercial for Star Wars. Like, so it's a subtle distinction, right? Like of right, like like of something that is using those characters versus something that like feels like it's promoting them in a commercial sense. And so I think there's something about it that just felt um, too commercial. At least that's my interpretation or understanding. Like, I, I don't know that even Ryan knows exactly what, what the end reason was, but for whatever reason, um, they, they decided not to use it. And so I had done some books with Chronicle uh, and I knew Chronicle books had also published a lot of books with Lucasfilm and so I asked Ryan, I was like, so this idea, like who owns this? Like, and like, does Google technically own this? And he's like, no, he, he checked with them and like, no, like, like he, if you want to do something with this idea, um, you can go ahead. And so I took it to Chronicle to take to Lucasfilm because I figured it just me cold calling Lucasfilm probably wasn't going to work. And um, Chronicle took it to them and, and Lucasfilm liked it. And 
And they were like, yeah, let's, we can do a book with these, these ideas. And, and a Starburst geek friend of mine, uh, told me that it's your books are, are a rare exception that they allowed something to be published that was non-canon. Yeah. Like it. And I mean, especially now, now that, um, like with Disney owning them, like it's a, it's a, it's a much different place, but I, I slipped in in a kind of weird way. Cause there was other things that they had in development and like nothing, like, yeah, it was a, it was a weird, weird thing. Like, you know, I, I just wanted, I just knew I wanted to use the actual characters and quotes and things to, to make the books that in a way that like, it would not be satisfying if I had to do them as, as parody where it's changing, you know, if it was like, um, menacing father figure and <laughs> Darth Tater. I don't know. Lark, Lark's cloud hopper, you know, right. and, and like, you know, do you, like just all that, like it just, there, no, I have zero interest in that. I want, like, I want to draw these star Wars characters and things. And, um, but it all, yeah, it worked out and, um, got yeah, that. Yeah. The response in in my household, uh, Max, who I mean, the first time I met you in person, I think we had Max with us. She was in an infant in, in a little car seat carrier yeah. when we, we went out to lunch. Yeah, uh, she, I, I was Darth Vader for months after that, and she would address <laughs> me as Darth Vader and you know show me that she stole my lightsaber or you know um, really just got got into her head she absolutely loved them and even when i was trying to uh convince the head of my label to use your artwork for one of my albums which was a thrill that that happened but that was one of my arguments with him i was like hey your kids have his books (laughs) in your house like you already have his work in your house you know you should be you should be begging me to, <laughs> to let this guy do my cover. Um, so yeah, that, that really took off for you. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's star Wars. So I, like I figured on some level it was going to do okay for me. Yeah. Um, but come on, there's always the star Wars Christmas special. I mean, star Wars true. isn't a can't fail true <laughs> yeah i mean it was, it was i mean it was there's no there's no risk to me though like it was like right like here's this fun thing and um like we we're pretty sure it was going to do okay at least and um yeah no no idea that it would it would do as well as it did like and i think what it the thing is, is though, you know, you're, you're talking about like this, this transition to kids books, but Darth Vader and son was never envisioned as a kid's book. It was a book for adults. It was a book for people like me who grew up with star Wars and now had kids and then kids reading kids just basically co-opted it. And like, they just, yeah, they just saw their parents' books and they're like, that's not your book. That's my book. And, (laughs) 
and then and like, that, and that was the case with us. Yeah I, yeah, I didn't. And then did you have to buy like a cut? Co- then you had to go buy another copy. So you had a copy, and your kid had a copy because that's what it, I think that's that's like half of <laughs> half of the reason. Uh, that's like, part of the book sales is everyone has yeah, to have. <laughs> it's it's so it's kind of illusory. Like I I think there's actually half as many people have have the book as the numbers would indicate. But I mean, I'm I'll take that. Sure. So I, uh, I opened up my, my Facebook to questions from people that, that are also fans of yours. Uh, Charlie Ramirez and Corey Berenger, two, two friends of mine that responded. The questions that they wanted to ask me actually were, were similar to something I was wondering as well, which is the kind of the relationship between your, your more family aimed and, and kids books and young reader books, uh, in relation to your early stuff, I mean, I, I think of like Peter Jackson doing Lord of the Rings and, and John Waters doing Hairspray. Both of them, <laughs> I have friends that worked in, in video stores. Uh, people would come in and buy Meet the Feebles or early Peter <laughs> Jackson work being like, oh, it's the guy from Lord of the Rings. And I don't know if you ever saw this, but there were actually copies of Meet the Feebles that had a sticker on them that said, you know, this is not. <laughs> like Lord of the Rings, this is adult and yeah. <laughs> will be found offensive to most viewers. Like, kind of begging people not to buy it. Did you ever think of like publishing your kids' books under a different name, or do you ever worry about the? I, you know, I, I did it, and I mean, maybe I, maybe I briefly thought about it, but it's. Well, again, they weren't you. You didn't intend them to be kids' books, so that complicates it. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I mean, I guess if you look at so then after you know I did Darth Vader and then I ended up doing the Jedi Academy series, which which is specifically sure. for kids. Um, also a big but, hit in my household, by the way. Thank you. Um, I think, I think I just I I just trust the audience a little bit. And it's, there's, there's only been a few times where someone has like said something about like stumbling on the older books um, and having a, having an issue. I think, I think, I mean, I think you pick up the books and, and, and it's, I guess maybe it's the question would be like with, with the internet, like, um, you can't really page through clumsy to know that it, it's not the same as Darth Vader and son. But I think, I, I don't know. I think there's something about it. Like it, it, it's clearly not the same kind of book. Right. And um, it hasn't been an issue. Like the, the two, the two, there's two times I can think of where someone had an issue. One is someone who read Vader's little princess or bought Vader's little princess for their grandchild after buying Darth Vader and son for a different grandchild. And they were like really upset about it for some reason. Oh, wow. Like, not about like, some of your early work, but actually about no, something in Vader's little prince. Like, they're like, I thought this was going to be like the other one, but <laughs> I think it's cause it's like, she, she's like, I invaders little princess. I kind of branch out and she's like a teenage daughter sure. for part of the book. And I think, like, so I think. <laughs> I, I remember just, one part she's wearing the job of the hut yeah, outfit, and he's yeah, like, "You're not going out in that, young lady." Yeah. So this 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 grandmother had had 
issues with that for some reason. Like I forget. Now that I think about it, it's it's kind of smut. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the other time was someone who wrote to me about incredible change bots, which, and, um, granted, I, I feel like it was someone who's fairly religious. Okay. Um, but it's basically their, their seven year old had was reading change bots and then brought it to, to his mom saying like, mom, look at this <laughs> racy, awful <laughs> stuff in here. And she she basically like wrote an email to me, admonishing me for marketing to kids, this book that was clearly not for kids. And, um, and you know, like, well, one, I don't change bots again. Like as I've always, I've never marketed that as a kid, kid's book. I've, I would say it's kids friendly and actually I, you know, like for all the innuendos or kind of jokes that might be a little more adult, I don't think there's anything like super awful or explicit in those books. And um, I feel like, you know, the audience, like readers will kind of, if you trust, if you trust the reader, they'll, they'll censor them themselves and what they're reading you know does that make sense like like i mean like like my kids have always been like yeah i don't think i'm ready for this thing or that you know whether it's a movie or a book and i love that my daughter does that yeah and it's like i'm like okay nice like i'm okay with that you know and right and at the same time like like we have friends that um their their son was a pretty advanced reader like was like you know start he's like one of those kids that was like reading when he was three or so, like something ridiculous, right? And he latched on to change bots by the time he was like five or six. Okay, like, he just loves change bots, <laughs> and it's like, and even then I was like, he's a little young, and they're like, and they just have you know they're just like shrug and they're like, yeah, he just <laughs> he loves it, right? And so, you know, I feel like I feel like you've you know. I, I don't want to, well, I think was, was this was in the, the Richard and Wendy interview where they, they talked about getting a letter, you know, from a young kid who was like, I thank you for not talking down to yes. me. And I think, yeah. I think that's a problem now. Like, I think, I think there's a lot of kids literature that talks down to kids and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's weird. I think, you know, I think kids are smarter than, than we give them credit for sometimes. And I think like sometimes it's okay to have books that deal with difficult or challenging issues. And, and it's okay for those to be for kids. And I don't, you know, it's just, um, yeah. For my generation, it was Judy Bloom. Um, yeah. And a lot of times I remember a teacher decided to we had read Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing and Super Fudge. So she grabbed um, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret and and Flubber. And we were going to read those in class. And mm-hmm. halfway through, she stopped with both books. She got a little ways in and not even halfway and was like, oh, no, 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 <laughs> this is not. But of course, all of us kids then had to finish those books and they were great and they didn't. 
Oh, the that's kids actually... In, the kids yeah. in those books behaved the way that we really behaved out in the playground. And we Did related to Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing, yeah. and, and it was funny, but there were aspects of our life that it didn't explore that are you there god it's me margaret did yeah. and that flubber did yeah did you ever consider that 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 was intentional she's, she's like reading this thing and like and you guys are all like yawning and, you're like <laughs> bored and she's like oh oh no you, i can't read this to you and then she sits aside and you're all like ah, i wish read that. yeah i wish she was uh yeah. she's not my favorite teacher yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I, I got a fan letter recently from a mom of a 12 year old who mm-hmm. she didn't just say he was a fan because my, my last couple things I put out were clean, but she specifically said he was a, a fan of one I have called bad comedy for bad people. That is very much not intended for children. And I had to sit with it for a second, but then I decided, you know what? I speak about sex, frankly, and I, but, but it's also like not homophobic and not sexist and, and like specifically anti those things. And I thought, yeah, this is like, like me watching Richard Pryor as a kid, I think was actually good for me. doesn't mean that I'm eager to sit my daughter down and and play Richard Pryor for her. But if, (laughs) if I found out that she was watching Richard Pryor, I don't think that it would be as bad as if I found out she was, I don't know, getting into the proud boys or something like yeah yeah i mean well like so with with clumsy there's there's essentially explicit sex in in the book but it's not pornographic i like the way it's drawn and the way it's presented is not you know salacious i don't think it's not gratuitous and it's also a fairly healthy attitude towards sex that's depicted yeah, I, I mean, I, ho- I, I hope so. I think, you know, I, I don't know that like, like it, like looking back at myself, like, yeah, there's so many issues with me as a person in the relationship. And like, it's like, um, not, I have not had enough therapy to like fix all those things, but, <laughs> but, you know, I think like that's part of the point of the book. It's called clumsy because you're, when you're young and in love and you're, you're stupid, you're clumsy, you make mistakes and like, that's fine. Like that's part of it. Like, um, and so I think, you know, I, I, I think that, um, the way the, the book handles things, like it's, you know, it's on the one hand, it's like, Ooh, but not really. Like, it's not, you know, it's, it's, I mean, like, I don't know. There's, there's far worse things that are far more accessible. Um, yes. I think. And yeah. And I, again, like going back to like, like self-selecting, um, I remember being at a convention and there is these girls who were, you know, maybe 15, 16. So pretty young. And they had come by the table and, and like, like, I was like, I was like, Oh man, they're like, they're, the one girl was like, like something about clumsy was like speaking to her. And, and it turned out she was there with her dad. And I was like, (laughs) so she, she had like left. She looked at the books, she'd left and like, and then she came back with her dad and these, and her two friends. And she kind of like, 
I think she talked to him. She showed it to him and like, he took a look and then he like nodded his head and like she bought it. And it was just like this amazing thing. Like that guy is a good dad. Yeah. Like, like he trusted his daughter. Right. Like, like, um, you know, he, you know, I, I don't know. I think there's something to that. That's, that's, that can get lost sometimes. It's like, um, you know, if it ends up being a mistake, like you gotta let your kids make a mistake sometimes, but. Right. And also sometimes things like we read a lot of stuff that's problematic in other ways. Maybe it just hasn't aged well, but it doesn't mean I don't let my daughter read it. It means that we get to have a conversation about it. Right. Like even reading C.S. Lewis's books, you know, just like by the second or third book, my daughter is the one calling it out. Like he would say something, you know, blatantly sexist and my daughter would go, Oh, C.S. Lewis. I mean, mean, those (laughs) books, like, so I read the, you know, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Right. Like when I was a, when I was a kid, my church used to do like a special like thing. We would watch the animated video and then we had like, like a Wednesday night class. We do crafts. I have some of those drawings of like the beaver and everything. Right. Um, and so I was read. I read those with my son, Oscar, like it was our bedtime series for a while. And like each book just gets worse and worse. <laughs> like, it's just like, so, you know, just like sexist and racist and like, just like making me cringe. Right. And, and also, <laughs> also in my opinion, they, they get progressively more boring. Oh, the last <laughs> one. Things that happen. It's almost like, it's like, oh, how can we, <laughs> it's like it, the last one took us forever to read. Cause he kept falling asleep after like a page. Yeah, it's, it's just yeah, it's, it's just, so heavy-handed at that point. <laughs> when you read the first one, you're like, "Really? This based on the Bible? Oh, I see. Yeah, the lion's Jesus. I get it." And by the third one, you're like, "Oh, this is based on the Bible. <laughs> this book <is laughs> just, just is the Bible at this point." Um, yeah. <laughs> let me uh, one more thing on that subject, which is what what is the future of uh, autobiographical work from you? Will we be seeing more? Yeah, I think think at some point, I mean, like, you know, I, again, I think autobiography seeps into everything I do, like maybe a little more obviously in the, the Vader, the Vader books with, um, you know, where I'm like, you know, it's parenting relationship and I'm just pulling, pulling things from my own experience. Um, or Jedi Academy is basically like, there's a lot of my middle school years in there. Lucy and Andy, it's like the sibling relationship that, you know, I didn't have a sister, but I had with like two older brothers. So like, right. like there's not like the stuff finds its way in anyway. But um, as far as like outright autobiographical work, um, it, you know, it's something that after I wrote A Matter of Life, which is the, the book about my dad and religion and fatherhood, Right. Um, that was like the last one that where I like had a clear idea and knew kind of things I wanted to say and talk about in, in terms of autobiographical work. And 
the right now there's like bits and pieces, but um, nothing that's come together in just the right way of where like that's the idea, that's the thing I wanna I wanna express and get at, and so um, until then I'm happy to like ride the wave of just drawing random goofy kid stuff. <laughs> Which right now the the current series that you're working on is Once Upon a Space Time. Yeah. Yeah. So space time is the series. Once upon a space time is the first book. And then I'm, I'm just, I think I still have a couple things to finish for book two, which is a total waste of space time. And then, um, but I'm already seeing the cover for it online. Yeah. Yeah. The cover, the cover for book two is done. I think I have to like draw the back cover. Okay. I think it's the last, the last thing to finish. But that's not um, going to be out in time for Christmas. That'll be out in June. So you got it. But book one is out. Um, Excellent. And yeah, and the, and for for the like the kids like so Lucy Nanny was three books in the series, and again going back to like the restlessness of of my nature as an artist, like where like I felt like I I kind of done what I wanted to do with with those characters for the most part, but there is a short Lucy and Andy story in the back of each space time. Oh, cool. Um, cool. So it's kind of like a fun, it's fun with those characters doing the short stories. Cause the, the longer books, um, those books have so much research that went into them that it's, it's just, it's a lot of work. Um, and I was also running out of things to, like write about like, like I've, you know, I wrote about how they make stone tools and how they hunt and how we know these things. And it's like, at some point I've, I've covered most of the basic research as far as what is easy enough to explain to kids. So yeah, if you, if you wanted to do more then you'd have to learn more and you don't want to do, yeah. to do that. Well, no, I, like, <laughs> like that's one of the things I loved about that series was like, I, I basically just, I mean, I spent a year just reading about Neanderthals and like learning all this stuff. And oh, that's great! Um, and it was it was fun. But you know, then I was like, okay, three books, and I kind of you know, by the third book, it, same thing that happened with Jedi Academy, where it's like it's like, all right, I could I could just keep doing like I could wash, rinse, repeat this. Um, it'd be right. I could do that, but each 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 time I do that cycle, it gets a little less interesting and fun. And, um, and then I want to do something new. And so I'd always, you know, I love science fiction and, but I like being able to do my own science fiction thing outside of star Wars, um, was interesting. And also something a little like semi grounded in, in reality. So space time has like, there's some references to actual theories and in ideas of of potential space travel and things, but um, much less beholden to um, the the factual side than the Neanderthal series was. I'm very excited to check it out. Uh, what are you? enjoying right now uh listening to watching i don't know if you play video games what uh um, yeah so let's see what have i 
What have I been up to? I mean, listening. So I've been listening to the new Sufjan Stevens album a lot. And, uh, Oliver tree, who's like oh. one of the, the artists that my, my son Oscar introduced me to. Like oh, I didn't geez. know who Oliver tree was. And that like, so it's like, I'm old. I know I'm old <laughs> now because like my, my, my kids are introducing me to bands. It's like, Oh geez. Yeah. I'm old. Um, yeah, Oliver tree yeah. is, uh, very hard to wrap my head around. Yeah. I, I I'm asking myself how much of this is real. How much is parody? Why am I asking that? Does it matter? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I mean the, like he's fun because the videos are such a, such a interesting side to it. And, yeah. Um, oh, I, you know, another, uh, not to just talk about other guests you've had, but I really enjoyed woke. The, oh yeah. The Keith Knight show. Were um, you a fan of Keith Knight's before that? I'm assuming yeah, you were. Yeah. Cause you know, Keith Knight, um, was, was published by top shelf. And so when I, like, he was one of the first cartoonists I met, I think, um, what, I can't remember what, which book it was, but he gave me like one of his collections at one of like the, or maybe top shelf just gave me his collection. I just had him sign it, but, but you know, like I met him at, at one of the first conventions I went to, and then I would see him, you know, every year and at Comic-Con. Um, and so, yeah, he's, and he's a, he's another one of those artists who, you know, was, was there long before me and at various points in my career has, stepped in and and been super encouraging and helpful and like there was one time where i i was um approached about doing a syndicated comic strip okay and and i knew keith like had some wisdom on that and yeah he I, did that like for years he, he actually um still <laughs> i got his number and he's like he's like give me a call i can oh wow talk to you and i called him and he was like super patient and and like like it was just like a like could not have been a more helpful conversation and you know and then he's always like so nice and friendly and like just a great guy and um and his comics are funny and great and smart and so right. it's, you know it's just um yeah, so watching the show was great, and um, they did get picked up for season two. Now yes, it's official, which is great. That's awesome. Just have to you know wait for it, but right, it's going to be a while. Yeah, they got to make it. <laughs> um, where can where, where's the best place for people to go to find you online? Um, so my website jeffreybrowncomics.com, which. Uh, is needs to be updated. Like that's a constant thing, but my priority is drawing the books as much as my publisher and agent and everybody would be like, would like me to be more on top of <laughs> things like that. But, um, yeah, you can, um, I'm going to, I'm going to try, I'm going to try to post more on there, but, um, you can find me there. And then Instagram, uh, at Jeffrey Brown, RQ, um, and I try to 
post a little more regularly, um, whether it's projects that I'm working on or pictures of my cat. Those are the two, <laughs> the two main threads on, on Instagram. I have to catch myself because I like uh, I could literally post like the same picture of my cat again and again and not even realize it. But oh, man, well, you're these are photos, photos of your cat. Yes, no, that's yeah, the I, actual cat. We upload no. the actual cat into. <laughs> no, I didn't the know phone. if you meant drawings or photos. Drawings too, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like sometimes fun things like um, when I'm drawing with. Um, I, well, now I, Oscar doesn't draw with me as much, so now it's drawing with my younger son, Simon. But okay. like we were drawing the other day, I posted pictures of cats. We were attack cats. We were drawing. Nice. We were fighting a mech. I didn't put the picture of the mech, but yeah. So, yeah, sometimes drawings. I, I know. I knew yeah. that you'd been prone to draw a cat or two here or there. Yeah, cats, <laughs> like, you know, it's it's funny. It's like they just keep, like, I, I did um. I did a children's book called my teacher is a robot and yes. like a, like an actual proper picture book. Um, you know, so, which is nice. Cause it's like, it's like 20 pages. It's not 20 pages. It's like 30 pages, but you know, it's like so much shorter than these 250 page graphic novels that I've been writing. And, um, I was going to have the kid, the main character. I was like, I should have him have a dog. Cause I'm like, everyone always has a cat. Like, Right. Graphical comics. I have a cat. Lucy and Andy Neanderthal. They have they have a scimitar tooth cat as their pet. Like <laughs> in space time, they have a cat. I was like, I'm going to make him uh, have a dog. And and then I was like, nope. He's got a cat too. Just don't know. Just don't know how to handle the dog. Just, <laughs> Well, uh, Jeffrey, thank you so much for giving us your time. Uh, yeah, I've of course. been a huge fan of yours for so long. And, and it's funny hearing you talk about how these other artists were supportive and gracious with you because, like many of my guests, our friendship started with a fan letter. Uh, after Skinner and Christie turned me on to your work, I wrote you to let you know how much I enjoyed it. And you were so great. And you actually went and checked out my comedy videos and wrote nice things about them and uh so you know you you definitely are paying that forward in the uh in the support and encouragement department so thank you for that (laughs) uh and i look forward to chatting with you again down the road yeah Uh, yeah you know when you come out with your next big autobiographical tome yeah and maybe someday (laughs) maybe someday we'll like we'll be able to travel across state lines and and see each other in person again wouldn't that be incredible have a have a meal Yes. That little baby that sat on the floor when we had lunch last time is 11 now. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Tell me about it. It's, they just, they get, it's like they keep getting bigger, right? Yeah. I I hear it has to do with feeding them, but I haven't, uh, I haven't done any experimentation there. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, my name is Keith Lowell Jensen. I am your host. Our producer is Joe Honor, and the art for the podcast was also done by Joe Honor. Our editor and audio engineer is Jack Matrenka. Joe and Jack are with Hyperpixel, a production company with a focus on digital marketing and e-commerce, offering daily management of your website, social media accounts, and digital marketing campaigns. Uh, our theme music was done by DJ Reel. Next week, we have Kasim Bentley on to talk about his new comedy album, Lakeview. I absolutely love Kasim. I have honestly been on shows with Kasim where I walked off stage saying this audience can't be won over. And then Kasim 
walked up and proved me wrong. Uh, so I'm <laughs> really looking forward to talking with him. He's hilarious. Please follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Keith Lowell. Follow the podcast at Keith uh, KLJ Podcast uh, on all those same platforms. Uh, thanks once again to my guest, Jeffrey Brown, and thanks to all of you for listening. Yeah.